All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. All right. If you watched our previous episode, we went through uh, some topics, some guidelines on what you should be looking for when you're looking for a spouse, that husband, that wife. And uh, we had a really interesting conversation after that episode where Christian yelled at me. He was very upset. He thought I missed some stuff. So today we said, you know, what? we're going to do a whole new, we're going to we're do another episode and we're going to talk specifically about why are more and more men, good men, checking out of the dating scene. So we're going to answer this. So if you're, if you're a dude, you can actually comment and say, hey, I agree with that. If, if you're a woman wondering, where are all the good guys? They're about to tell you why you can't find them. All of that coming up on this episode. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, you guys. I am excited to be here having this conversation. I feel like this is pivotal to understanding what's going on in the dating pool for men and women. I think that this is these are really important questions, and I know a lot of our audience is men, so I think this is going to be a great chat. So let's go ahead and get started. Nick. All right. As always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a reasonably okay guy, I suppose. Then there's my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees. Hello, everyone. And we're, we're old married folks, but we're going to try to... <laughs> then there's Christian Hines, help. political prognosticator and resident historian. Way to make me sound like the villain in your opening <laughs> he was, he statement. Was, it, was, it was mean. <laughs> he, yeah, did I, I cry? No, because I'm a man. Actually, I, I remember I did yell at you. It was <laughs> we awesome. Might, we might get at it for a second, because we, when we were going back and forth, Hamilton over here was like, see, Christian, this is the energy that people are looking for when they're tuning into this show. <laughs> I, right. I think we uncovered some good I'm stuff I'm not to done introducing about. people. There's Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. It's always a pleasure to be here, Nick. And then producer of producers, Sour Patch Lids, Lydia, who will be here to be the adult supervision for this conversation. <laughs> I'm very excited for this conversation. I think it's going to be great. Let's keep that energy strong. We'll just try not to argue. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give every little bit of insight into that that you know thing. So what it was, we got we got done with the episode, and and we were talking about, hey, did we do we think we did a good job talking about the various issues and whatnot? And, and Christian was like, you know what, I'm going to be honest, and I'm not. You tell, correct me if I'm wrong. He goes, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little bit tired of dudes always getting dumped on because there's bad guys out there doing bad things. But then when we talk about it, it's men as if it's in general, men are doing these things. He goes, well, I'm a man and I'm not doing those things. So why the hell am I constantly getting trashed for things other guys are doing? And then there doesn't seem to be a great deal of appreciation out there among, you know, the female, the population for the guys that really are doing the things that we say are the things men should be doing. Like, I don't know, being willing to provide and being able to willing to provide security and safety and, you know, all of those things. Would that be a fair representation 
Uh, kind of. I mean, there was one line in particular that I remember where I was like, I'm sick and tired of hearing you say this because <laughs> there, if anybody actually like, you know, has taken the time to listen to a lot of Nick's speeches, one of the things that he will bring up, and it's a fair point, is, is you know, man, you've got to stand up and, and you know, you need to take some responsibility, um, especially you bring this up when you're talking about abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a huge chunk of the abortion issue is quite frankly pushed by men. Yeah. As a, as a means to. Yeah, and I, I hammer on men, be better men, and yes, we would we would actually deal with to a get lot out of, of the problem. consequences of their own actions. Yeah. And so so you've ma- you make fair points when you bring this up, but you know I I kind of brought the uh, you know brought that up, and I'm like, and I'm also here you know sick and tired of hearing you talk about this too. <laughs> you know, men this, men that, and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like. I haven't done anything. You know what? What I find so fascinating is, is that we are constantly told by an entire political party in this country, but not just that. Yeah. Every single institution from corporate America to Wall Street to academia to Hollywood that men, especially white men, have all of this privilege. Right. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, what am I getting out of this? <laughs> Where is it? If I'm going to be blamed for privilege, shouldn't I be benefiting from something? And I'm sitting here like, I, it, like you just like, don't see it, Christian. It's just so well, actually it's that's, so in there in society that you don't even realize. Now that we get into, that is what the left says. Now we're getting into your male fragility. <laughs> yes, that is, that's ab- that, oh, I, I love when people bring up oh fragile men. You know what's so funny is that that there's so many people out there that are like, well, men need to go to therapy. But then if you go to therapy, <laughs> then you're portrayed as like weak or it's something that they're going to yeah. use against you. Thank God I've never been to therapy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you don't say the, <laughs> this is your therapy right here. <laughs> Look, therapy is temporary. The glory of ancient civilization, the glory of Rome is forever. Um, and that's why I'm into history. But <laughs> like like th- there's all these examples of of like like things where it's like men are being told they need to do X but then if they do X they're ridiculed for doing X right yeah. this is another thing too that I see women around my age group bring up like well men just aren't being sensitive enough they're not, they're not going to therapy they're not opening up enough they're not being vulnerable enough if you do any of that stuff you're bashed over the head <laughs> for it so what what on earth do you want people like it, it it's there's so many things that we're going to get into today, and some of it's going to come across as, as grievance, and I'm going to try to like tone down on the grievance yeah. here a little bit because one thing that we criticize, rightfully so, I think, from the left is the whole grievance culture. Yeah, It's the idea that, oh, you're not responsible for your actions, society's rigged against you, and that's why we need to seize power and establish a <laughs> left-wing socialist dictatorship, right? Like, Obviously, that's not correct, and yeah. this is something that Lydia— and Tina brought up to me, and and it was a very fair critique because they had listened to this rant of mine yesterday. Um, and I think there was some things that I said that they agree with, but they also wanted to bring up, Christian, it's worth pointing out that not all women are doing this, yeah. right? Uh, and right. and not all. So, so everything, that, we just need to be careful today. And for those that are listening that might be sympathizing with what we're going to talk about, let's just be careful to recognize that when we're bringing this stuff up, understand that people are diverse yeah. and not it's, ever- it's hard not to talk in generalities, but we understand that. Yeah. Yes. And we want to talk about how there's trends. If, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a conservative or you're a libertarian. And so you probably have a worldview that aligns yourself in a particular direction. And especially if you're a guy, 
you probably don't want to be marrying some pro-abortion, big government, pro-socialism <laughs> no, liberal. No, no, Ava Perone for you. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you, you don't want to be marrying AOC, right? Yeah. And so, like, the type of woman that you're interested in is not the type of women that have been pushing some really radical left-wing policies. There's this term, and I'll end with this. There's this term that that some people in conservative circles bring up to describe the number one threat to America politically at the moment are the awfuls, the affluent white female liberal. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. Yes. And yep. Yeah, but but that doesn't apply to so many women that well, are out so there. Right? Here's, here's the question. So and and I don't I don't know if we have the the most recent stats on this, but it it was the whole idea of, you know, for a, a good portion of human history, you know, it was just kind of assumed that the vast majority of people would get married, right? If you weren't married, that that was considered like, okay, well, what's wrong? What's not going on? And and we're we're starting to see a return, especially in Western countries, Western affluent, you know, countries where there's less of an emphasis on getting married. And and you could say that's there's there's reasons why women are doing that. There's reasons why men are doing that. But today's episode, right? Because we're going to do another one from more from the women's perspective. All right, from the young man perspective, like either from your experience or your friend's experience or what you're observing or what you've read, why are Men, I got married at 19. Why are men not getting married at, at you know to the to the rate that they they typically would? Like why well, wouldn't they? I mean, what's the value proposition? Well, I mean, I yeah. yeah, Christian, I think you brought some stats that I think would be great to hit real quick about some general things. Do you have those ready? Yeah, I've got a I've I've got several of them actually. So, um. The first one that I want to bring up is actually the labor force participation rate for men. And I yeah. actually got this from the Federal That's Reserve of all nuts. Um, This is not entirely a social or cultural thing. This yeah. is also a bit of economics, right? We're talking about the labor force participation rate. But just look at that drop off. Also, does anybody can, can anybody tell us when the uh, lockdowns began? For, <laughs> that would be for our folks watching, yeah. for our folks listening, Christian. What are the percentages here? Okay, so this chart is just a marching downwards trend yeah. over forty plus years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Starting more than in that. Over seventy years in yeah. nineteen fifty, the labor force participation rate for men was almost ninety percent. And it has since just marched down yeah. and down and like down. through good times yeah. and bad times, just keep marching down. About and 67% now. It really started to fall off a cliff after the um, starting in December 2007. Does anybody want to take a guess what happened in 2008? Um, we had a big housing bubble. <laughs> the labor force participation rate went from about 90% in 1950 to about 80% in 1960 to about... Um, or, or sorry, to, to about 85% in 1960, to about 80% in 1970, all the way down to about 75% in 1980, it leveled off. And so by 1990, it was stuck at around 75%. And then by 2000, it, 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 you could tell that it started to fall again. It fell down to 74%. And then by 2007, it had fallen to 73%. And then the 2008 yeah. great financial crisis uh, kicked in the recession started and it, it it just fell off a cliff. So we got a, so we got a major. Obviously, we're watching a trend over forty yeah. years. Um, it finally ended with today. The labor force participation rate for men is. And by the way, this is men that are like in their prime working. Yeah, years. we're not talking about ninety year olds. Yeah. Um, this right. uh, it, it's finally now under seventy percent. 
Um, 67.8. Yeah, it, it's it's really bad. And you can say, oh, well, it's rebound over the last two years. Well, that's because yeah. it fell off a cliff during COVID when yeah. nobody was working. But like, so what does this mean? Uh, it, it means that men are falling behind economically, which I think is is on the economic side, making them less attractive. This is kind of blaming us, right? Not not me blaming women. Yeah. This is blaming men at the moment. I, I think that men in some ways have become less attractive for some women from an economic standpoint, because I, I do think that one of the components that women look for, rightfully so, with men is a little bit of stability and security and economics come into that. We have an example of that if, in a video. If men aren't working and getting a paycheck, who wants to marry a guy that's laying on his couch watching videos and playing video games all day long and, and isn't collecting a paycheck and doing something with his life? I but I, I, I think I also, most people would. I mean, I, I also I also wonder too because it's interesting. You look you look at this kind of like precipitous drop off starting in the. I mean, it it, it started before that on the in the fifties and whatnot, but really in the sixties you start to see this this you know major downward trend, and and it, it's amazing to me that the easier we make it to survive without working, uh, the less people work. But the only way that you can make it uh, the only way you can make it viable to survive without working is the you hurt the people that are working. Like you got to take more from the people that are working and or give it to the people that are not working. And and you, you create this, you know, disincentivization. And, and I think this is also interesting because at the same time you were also, you, you were also creating an environment where men were kind of being replaced in the family by government programs. Oh, that goes into, we, we've talked about this too. Um, uh, who was it? Just pearly things who brings up yeah. the whole, you know, concept that, well, nowadays the government is paying you to divorce your spouse and take the kids and half the money. And, and when that happens, shocker, divorce rates are going to skyrocket. If you're going to create a legal structure to incentivize people to not live together, they're not, they're not going to live together, which leads me into the second statistic actually. And by the way, we're going to be building this stuff up because it's not just economics, right? Yeah, yeah, th th yeah. Th this is leading into some big social problems that I don't think have, have really been noticed until the last couple of years, but they've been going on for a long time, actually. Yeah. And they, they're now manifesting themselves in what, what psychologists are calling the rise of lonely men, and w which is getting to the heart of this episode, right? Why are men checking out? So the labor force participation rate, I'll end with this. I... You could argue that that is a symptom of a problem just as much as you can argue that's the cause of the problem. Oh, I'll tell you right now, having a wife and kids is a motivating factor to get off the damn couch and work. And, and if you don't have the wife and kids. So you can also argue that as the as as the concept of a traditional marriage has declined over time and the ability for men to find a spouse has dropped off a cliff they've dropped out of the working force, which has also led, and I, this is something that I didn't pull up for this podcast, but it's just a fact. It's also, I think, part of the reason why a lot of men that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are turning to drugs increasingly. You're seeing this, especially in economically depressed areas where like the opioid epidemic is becoming a huge deal. It, it, I think it all ties, again, you can on one hand say all these things that we're talking about, the drop in the um, participation rate, the rise, this is now the second statistic, yeah. the rise in the number of young adults that are living with their parents. You can say, oh, this is why men are checking out. Or you could say this is a sign that you can point to to prove that men are checking well, out. Well, and this is what's interesting to me. The majority of U.S. young adults now live with their parents. Now, again, you can blame economic factors for that all you want. But what's interesting is that during the Great Depression, right, the height of the Great Depression, about 43% of young adults lived with their parents, right? That dropped all the way down to like 
you know, 29% in, in the sixties gradually started moving back up. But by here we are in 2020, 52%. So we're talking majority. about majority like 10. Yeah. Majority. And it was like the first time highest ever highest and, ever. And by the way, the, um, the statistics that I've got here only go back to 1900, but we actually have census, um, census statistics that go back to the 1880s yeah. and it's higher than ever. What I find fascinating is that from the 1880s to the great depression, the number of um, 18 to 29 year olds living at home with their families were actually relatively high. They were perpetually at about 30 to 40 in, in the in the high 30s, low 40s sure. percent. But it's a complete. And so, so you could say this and be like, oh, we're just reverting back to the mean. The, the real outlier was in the 60s. No, it was a completely different type of environment in yeah. the 1880s. You were at home living with your parents because everybody was working on the farm together yeah. in the 1880s. Oh, yeah. And talk so. about the birth rate then. Also, because the birth rate has families were through the like, like you weren't one of two kids. You were one of eight kids in the 1880s and they were all living together. This is also why, for example, this is some random statistic and I'll just leave it at that. The population of Manhattan today is lower than it was in 1900. That's crazy. It's because of of density of of the number of families living in a small amount of space. And now, you know, and so homes were a lot smaller. So the idea of multi-generational homes was a big thing in the late 1800s, early 1900s, which is why why the number was was so high. Yeah, and we're not seeing that now. It's when we say say multi-generational homes in the 1800s, that's where you had multiple families living essentially on the same kind of like you know, family compound or house or whatnot, because like you said, there was a, there was a much higher percentage of the population that was involved in farming. So it wasn't that you you had you know a bunch of twenty eight year olds living in their mom's basement playing Call of Duty. No, right? it were, would be you and your cousins, yeah, and your yeah. uncles, and then they they would all live on the same homestead together. And so like that's why those numbers were much higher. But you saw this uptick during the Great Depression for obvious reasons, yeah. right? Similar to what we saw during our Great Recession. But what's so fascinating now is even fourteen years after. After the 2008 crash, it's higher than ever. And now it's an absolute majority of 18 to 29 year olds. And this is both genders living at home with their parents. And I think that is contributing also to loneliness, to to this whole concept of men checking out. Because if you're at home living with your parent, guess what you're not doing? You're not living with a spouse. Yeah. You're you're, you're not living with with the person that that you're going to be starting your own family. But here's the here's the question. All right. We, we get it that there's some economic considerations. There's okay, but why, right? Because again, men weren't doing this in the Great Depression, which you you could argue the worst economic downturn in U.S. history, right? They weren't doing it then. They are doing it now. Now, obviously, we've had economic hardships with respect to COVID and whatnot. But what we were seeing was that even when even when it was nowhere near that, so like the the crash of 2008 was bad. But it wasn't like catastrophic. It wasn't 1929. No, it wasn't 1920. It wasn't the 30s when no. unemployment was consistently at 15 points or higher every year, right? Like that, people forget that. We're not talking about that. So, so why is it now that exactly. men are like this? Is Screw why this. <laughs> this is why you economics is a tool. It is not the only reason for this. I, I refuse to believe that. Oh well, this is just all a numbers game. And, and I look, I love talking about economics on this show. Yeah. Um, my favorite episodes are when we do that. But I don't think the story here is is an economic story. I brought those points up because I want to say that there's probably many causes. And yeah. more there's importantly, data to prove what you're saying. The big thing is, is that this has been a long trend. This hasn't just happened in like two or three years. Well, it's just that we've noticed it right. yeah. since COVID. But 
when I think that what happened was is that everybody kind of woke up and they read things like this Psychology Today article that I pulled up about um, the rise of lonely men. And this is going to get to the heart of the discussion that we're going to have for the rest of this episode now. They, they We got out of the pandemic and then we started seeing society is kind of falling apart at the seams here. Mm-hmm. And then we went back and we looked at the data and we were like, oh. This wasn't just COVID that kicked this off. What COVID did was accelerate trends that had been going on for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And what I think is just so fascinating is that we're now coming to the realization that there are some really big cultural, social, societal, psychological, potentially mental, you know, multiple crises happening within each of those. And it's not just, oh, well, people aren't making as much money or, yeah, yeah. or well, the economy's but, but, so bad. Here, here's the point. Here's the point, though. So, something, I think something has um, obviously accelerated all of this um, or, or made us more aware of it, whatever it is. Because so when, when I was growing up, again, got married in 19. When I was growing up, we didn't have social media um, anywhere close to the extent that we do now. It just wasn't anything like MySpace was coming out even after I graduated high school. You guys all grew up in an era of like intense social media interaction. Like everybody has a phone on their, uh, or everybody has a camera on their phone. Like we couldn't have even conceived of that when we were at that age. Now you, you would think on some level, well, doesn't this facilitate greater communication and, and the fact that there's more people that you can talk to more people, you can interact with more people than you've ever been able to before. And yet, right. Guys are waiting to an age. Uh, guys are waiting to an age to get married where the, you would think this was 19th century England where it's like, Oh yes, he must first go and establish himself. So we can ask for set up the home for his wife. Right. That's not what's going on. Yeah. So, so, presumably if, if superficially you're looking at this going, you got more opportunities to communicate. You got more opportunities to interact. You got more opportunities to find people. You got more, much easier to travel and find people right. There's theoretically, theoretically more options than ever before. Why are dudes checking out in a way that they certainly did not just 20 years ago? This is the paradox, the social media paradox or the internet paradox. Mm. It's we are more connected now than ever before. And yet we feel more apart than we ever have been. Can I ask a question about that? So I'm looking at the chart that you put up there and how, you know, the employment stats are just arcing down in just this ever decreasing, you know, slide. And at the same time now, you've got social media that rises and um, and now you I'm I'm kind of wondering, do you think that some of this has a bearing on what is being uh, shown in social media and what's popular in social media. So like these guys who are not in the job market, what are they doing with their time? What are they spending their time on? And so are they, I mean, idle hands, right? It's, it's, you're, you're going to look for things to give you some sort of gratification. They're playing video games that they're on TikTok oh, or watching YouTube videos. I, or OnlyFans, right? Yeah. And so, or porn. I mean, so you've got guys who are now, they're finding the gratification somewhere. To, to and be fair though. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that, that doesn't explain what was happening in the sixties and seventies. No, I, right? I get that. But what I'm saying is we are in the sixties and seventies. It wasn't as hard to find a wife. We're talking about why is it so hard to find someone? Yeah. Well, at the same time that this stuff is going down, you've got all this access to social media and 
there are a lot of guys who really love the thirst traps, you know, and there are a lot of guys. I mean, there's a reason why that's so popular in social media. By the and way, that, it, it sells. That, and so these guys are perpetuating that. I, I, I agree with a lot of that, Tina. And, and that gets me to this article. And I don't necessarily agree with everything here, but there's some interesting stuff in the um, Psychology Today article, Hamilton, if you want to pull that up. the What's behind the rise of lonely men? This came out in August. Um, and some of the key points here at the very top were really interesting. Where, where um, They actually pulled up some peer-reviewed studies that came out over the past year or two. And basically they said that um, men, especially younger men under the age of 30, feel more lonely today than ever in the history of, of, of peer-reviewed studies that have actually been collecting data on this. Um, another fact that they brought up, which I thought was really fascinating, was 62% of people on dating apps are men. That is a horrible mm. ratio. Yeah, it's not that great. <laughs> yeah. That That's starting that's to look like good. like one child China. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Like it, 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 the odds are not in your favor if yeah. you're a guy, which is, by the way, why you will not find me on any dating app. <laughs> I, I, I just. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, some of the other stuff, too, that we brought up, which is what? It's like women swipe right like only 15% of the time. Five. And, Five, five percent. Okay, what does right and left mean? Right, right is is right accept and left is reject. Yeah, like right, you swipe right no to idea. to hopefully match with that person. You swipe left to skip them. Okay, okay. So the the okay. headline here, the the article says, younger and middle aged men are the loneliest they've ever been in generations, and it's probably going to get worse. That's not <laughs> that sounds like I wrote That's this. Great. Um, <laughs> That's not my typical rosy view of relationships, but a reality nonetheless. Over the last 30 years, men have become a larger portion of that growing group of long-term single people. And while you don't actually need to be in a relationship to be happy, men typically are happier and healthier when partnered. I would argue that's true for most people. I yeah. think that the reason that marriage exists as an institution is because people are better off when they're living with a loving spouse. I, I, I think that's one of the core things that make us human. Um, and so it's, again, that leads into so many other problems, this decline of the whole concept of relationship building and marriages. That's why we're talking about this yeah. on this show. Um, and then it keeps going and says, here are three broad trends in the relationship landscape that suggest heterosexual men are in for a rough road ahead. Number one, dating apps. Whether you're just starting to date or you're different um, or you're recently divorced and dating to get um, uh, uh, dating again, dating apps are a huge driver of new romantic connections in the United States. The only problem is that upwards of 62% of users are men, and many women are overwhelmed by the number of options they have. Competition in online dating is fierce, and lucky in-person chance encounters with dreamy partners are rarer than ever. Do we want to talk about that first, or do you want me to keep moving on to the other points? I mean, it's, it's up to you. I mean, it's... I guess I, I, we can unpack I think, that a little bit. I think men are put in a very interesting situation on dating apps because it's not actually a game of displaying the qualities within yourself that make you the most attractive to a woman for marriage, such as having a stable career, being able to provide a stable environment. It's things like how good am I at taking photos? <laughs> how good am I at putting outfits together that are going to reflect well in this photo that reflect well in me? Yeah. How good am I How good am I at going and finding locations in my town to take photos? How good am I at being humorous in the description of my dating profile? Yeah. And then how many... It's basically how good are you at marketing? Exactly. And, <laughs> and part of the reason I haven't like put all that time into it is because 
we work in social media. Yeah. I know what goes into the refinement of a profile like that. And that is not necessarily the image I want to be putting forward. I don't want to be putting forward a manufactured and refined image that, you know, still may not compete against the six foot tall guys on the platform. Uh-huh. Um, and so it, it's, it's a unique challenge. And I don't, I've, I've spent some time on dating apps, but it's not something I've Wanted to invest a whole lot of well, time in. Here's here's what I so I, I think the dating apps component is interesting, but like you said, both neither one of you guys are even bothering with it. What, what I find is which gets to the heart of this episode. Yeah, yeah, the, the relationship. Well, right. and, and again, it, it becomes it becomes it now becomes a platform where the guys that are using the dating apps, right? Some probably have good intentions or trying to go through the process. Others might be really good at the marketing and just know how to. I mean, this was something that Pearl Davis said from Just Pearly Things. She goes, basically, what you have is on the, a lot of these dating apps and whatnot, and um, you have eighty percent of the women sleeping with five percent of the guys. Yes, because they're the guys that are good at manipulating this whole process within this environment. And there's a lot of guys that are. You know what's funny is is that some of those guys are the guys that fell off the labor force participation rate, but they're good at marketing themselves. Yeah. And and physically they might look good, right? So they're tall. You know, they're they're buff. All of that stuff. But they're they know how they've figured out how to game the system. Yeah. Is, 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 and, and and by the way, some of those five percent, you know, that, that women are swiping right on are are, are good guys. You yeah. know, are, they just want to find a spouse, right? And yeah. and they've been told right. go onto a dating app, and that's how you're going to find one nowadays. It's the 21st century, man. You it's, don't meet in person. It's like being <laughs> friend zoned on a mass scale. Uh, it's it's mass friend. Yeah. What what. That's the best way to describe the whole rise of lonely men. It's the mass friend zoning of. Well, so then I find I find this in a, the the whole next part. He talks about with relationship standards and what really do, he talks about his live TikTok show where he talks to women every you know week. And I hear recurring dating themes from women between the ages of twenty five and forty five. They prefer men who are emotionally available, who are good communicators, and who share their values. When you guys hear that, what is your initial response? I run for the hills. And, yeah. and the reason why is because when I'm being told, well, you just need to be emotionally available and then you actually are emotionally available. I find that when, this is going to sound generalistic and this gets back to what the disclaimer that I said at the beginning here. Yeah. One thing that I've personally feel like that I've noticed a lot is that I see a lot of women that are saying they want X, Y, and Z in men. But then when men do X, Y, and Z, they feel disgusted about it. Yeah, uh-huh. they're the turned women off. does. The woman will say, I want a man who's going to be emotionally available or who will open himself up. But then when a guy does that, they're they're turned off by it. Oh, yeah. I'll give you a controversial statement right now. I think it's garbage. I, I think when when they say emotionally available, I don't think that's clearly defined. I mean, obviously, I think a woman wants you to be able to be emotionally connected to her. But the way that's manifested I'm sorry. A dude cries in front of his girlfriend. Is they are not thinking? Oh my gosh, she's being so emotionally available. They're thinking weak. Yes, what but that's. Th- th- I feel like that's the message that's being pushed on a lot of men is that you need to become. This is going to sound controversial. I feel like a lot of men are being told <laughs> you need to become more effeminate. Yeah, yeah. But yes, then when yes. men become more effeminate, women are repulsed by that. That's yeah. true because I think a lot of women what they really want. And Nick and I kind of hashed this out last night trying to kind of discuss like sort of splitting the hairs with definitions of words and things like that. I think what what women really want is is for men to be able to be tender toward them and be sensitive to their uh, needs. And so they think, oh, if the guy does this and he gets it out, then it gives me the okay to do the same thing. 
And in reality, that's not, they don't, they don't want a guy blubbering all over himself. They want a guy who is tender toward her. And I think right. you could be the strongest, most masculine testosterone man in the world and be tender toward the woman you love. Well, can we, can we play this? Can I, we play this I want to take five minutes to have this conversation. This clip is great. Yeah. I did not interview men for the first four years of my study. And it wasn't until a man looked at me one day after a book signing and said, I love what you have to say about shame. I'm curious why you didn't mention men. And I said, I don't study men. And he said, that's convenient. <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, because you say to reach out, tell our story, be vulnerable. But you see those books you just signed for my wife and my three daughters? I said, yeah. They'd rather me die on top of my white horse than watch me fall down. What does she mean by that? What, what does he mean by that? Or she, she's well, 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 in, 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 saying that, in saying that story that she was. So the, the context, well, here, play the rest of the okay. clip. That'll, that'll give the rest of the context. When we reach out and be vulnerable, we get the shit out of us. And don't tell me it's from are the guys and the coaches and the dads. Because the women in my life are harder on me than anyone else. So I started interviewing men and asking questions. And what I learned is this. You show me a woman who can actually sit with a man in real vulnerability and fear, I'll show you a woman who's done incredible work. You show me a man who can sit with a woman who's just had it. She can't do it all anymore. And his first response is not, I unloaded the dishwasher. <laughs> but he really listens, because that's all we need. I'll show you a guy who's done a lot of work. Okay. It, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? But the, her, whole, her whole point was to say she'd been talking about vulnerability and shame and all this other stuff. And the guy's basically saying, like, are you kidding me? He goes, this idea that I can be vulnerable to my wife and daughters that I can, no, I can't. That's his whole point about like, they would rather see me die atop my white horse than fall. And that it's the women that actually hold me to the highest standard, have the highest expectations and the highest demands upon me. And this guy's married. Yeah. And this guy's married. <laughs> He's not saying this is someone that hates his wife and daughters. It's just a, it's just a reality about this kind of, uh, I think what sometimes is a female impression of what vulnerability, what, what sometimes is popularized what women want with vulnerability, which what they actually do. And and here's the point of this. And this is because I think this can be taken the wrong way. Um, I don't know if I agree with the last part of what she said. The, this whole idea that, well, the, the solution is, is for women to understand that sometimes men just, you know, sometimes they have to fall off the horse. No, we don't. We have to be up there. Like, that's the point. The point is, is that us being up there provides the sort of security and stability that our wives and our children, our wives and our daughters are looking for in us. And falling off that horse is so much more than just having a good cry. What it does is it completely upsets the balance, the standard for security that they rely upon. And guess what? We like providing it. We want to be up there. We don't need to get down off of our horse to have a good cry with you. What we need, probably more than anything, is to know that we're appreciated for what it takes to be up there. I think that that really gets to um, the, what Jordan Peterson talks about a lot, where he was like, people actually want, and, and he, he 
this also, I think, gets into why he has a predominantly male audience because he brings up like, no, 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 people want responsibility. Yeah. And I don't think that social media is necessarily giving them that responsibility. I don't, I don't think that it, it, it's funny. I, I said this earlier, right? That like social media brought us together more than ever before. Like I have on my phone, the ability for me to read almost anything in the entire world at, at the you know tips of my fingers. This is, this is like a, this would be considered magic yeah. 2000 years ago. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet the stuff that's on this phone, the, the internet, you know, all the apps connected to it, Twitter and all of that stuff, like, has driven us apart more than I think anything in the last several centuries. And so it's this double-edged sword that the internet and social media has been a great tool. You called it a tool before we started recording. It's It's been a great tool, but tools can be dangerous. Fire is a tool. Mm-hmm. Fire can heat your home. It could also burn your home down. Well, it, so here's... Point. Here's what I, here's, this is the part that I'm curious for both of you. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to answer this for me. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, the speed with which information can now travel is the same for both good and bad information, right? And how it can get out there. And I feel like the, the difference was, is that if we were looking at this purely analytically, it's like, okay, because we always have the stereotypical jokes, right? Like men are insensitive and don't understand what's going on with their, their wives. And, you know, wives are never clear about what they actually want from men. And they don't even really know what they really, those are the stereotypical jokes. Here's what I see going on. It's the whole idea of like, I want men to be more emotionally available. Man is more emotionally available. They don't like it. The conclusion could be like, oh, maybe when I say emotionally available, I actually mean something different. Like what Tina said, I want them to be tender and demonstrate love toward me and toward our children. I want to be able to see those moments. But I actually appreciate that the stoicism that is necessary to be prepared for the storm means that they're not going to be wearing their emotions on their sleeve the same way that my gal pals might. Right. That would be that would be a logical conclusion for what we're actually seeing and what they actually admire in us. But instead, it's no. The real problem is, is they're just toxic. They're just toxic males. And it's not that they it's it's not that you don't want the emotional availability you keep talking about. It's that they're doing it wrong. And it all goes back to, gosh, if if the man was doing it right, then everything I'm asking for would make sense, as opposed to saying, maybe maybe I'm. Maybe I'm actually figuring out what I do like and what I don't like and what I do admire and what I don't admire with respect to how men are supposed to behave in society. And you can chalk it up to evolution if you want. I chalk it up to a a created and ordered universe. But the bottom line is the last 5,000 years of human history have taught us a lot about where we actually expect men to be in society. And now that we're living in this world that is, it is surface level, safe and prosperous. It's this idea of, well, no, no, I want these other things. I, I got news for you right now. When the T-80 starts rolling across the border in Eastern Europe, Ukrainian women weren't looking for dudes that were emotionally available and crying. They wanted a dude that could shoot a Russian. Mm. And you could say, oh, well, that, that's an extreme example. Is it? Because at the bottom line, at the fundamental line, they still want men to be able to provide stability and security. But if you want us to be able to do that, my gosh, can we have some appreciation for what it takes to be able to do that when it hits the fan? Right. So, yeah. Nick, before we move on, I got to ask, what do we think men's response should be to these challenges? Because you're talking about some of the very real issues they're facing, some of the kind of lies they're being told from women who I don't really believe know what they themselves want. 
how can men tackle this and what's a good place to start from to try and make sure that they defeat some of these dragons before before they even start looking at joining the dating pool again? Well, in my age in life, it starts with how I raise my sons and my daughters. And, and right. it's, it's, it's how they see they, they, how they see interact. Do they see a tender side of dad? Yes. They see, they see daddy as someone that they, that loves them, that tells them that I love them. Um, that, that sets certain standards, tells my wife, I love her. No, right? and this, but this shows it. And this is the part. Yeah. And this is the part where I, I don't want to, I don't want to be trashing on, on men, but I will say this like from fathers and everything else. I'm sorry, I don't raise my if if modern women really want what they're saying they want, you're not gonna like how I'm raising my son. Hmm. But the reason why I'm raising my son that way is because I don't believe what they're they're telling us. I don't believe it. And quite frankly, if a woman really believes that, I don't want them to marry my son. I want me I want my I son to be someone that actually takes pride in the idea that providing that stability and that security so that his family above everything else feels safe. I, I got to make a note on that. The whole catalyst for this conversation today is a question that I proposed after our last episode of we know that men who are currently single at some point do want to find a spouse yeah. and make that commitment. But many of them at this time don't feel like putting in the effort yeah. to find that spouse has the payoff that they think it should. But I also don't think men in Christianized generation were ever told that it's okay to take pride in being the provider. Mm-hmm. I, I think you were told the opposite. Yeah. Men, I, oh, I, I, they, yeah. they made a really good point on, I think Prager, you at some point did this uh, thing on education and boys and the fact that boys from a young age in the education system right now and for the past few decades have been treated like defective girls. Basically we need to make you more like the girls because the girls are all quiet and they do their thing and whatever. And the boys are much more physical and they need that kind of an outlet. The point is, is, you know, it's not, it's not that boys don't feel the fear or they don't feel the pain or they don't feel the sadness or whatever. It's what they do with it. Mm -hmm. And so when, when a man, uh, doesn't panic and he's able to just do what he needs to do, that provides stability for the rest of the people in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that has been lost because it's like, Oh boy, you feel panicked. Go ahead and let the panic out. You need to let it out. And you know, just like this person over here, you maybe scream it out. Or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, There is a constructive way to use this emotion. And, you know, being overly outwardly emotional and and just blubbering it all over the place doesn't actually give you resolution. Mm. You have to feel like you've actually done something good with it. And that's what have taken action. Right. And I think that men in your generation have been raised up. Not not by everybody. Obviously, your parents probably did not do that. No, but been raised up to kind of go, oh no, um, you you need to be more like these girls over here. And I, I think right. that has really taken its toll on young men. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what's interesting about this too is I, I believe my parents taught me right. They taught me that it was a good thing to take on responsibility. They taught me it was a good thing to pro- be able to provide. Um, and I'm really grateful to my dad who, you know, also told me that, you know, it's okay for your future wife to, you know, work when you, when you get married, but it's also okay for you to desire for her to be at home and raise your family. 
And that is okay. And I appreciate that he, he made that clear for me. But I also think that when you're going through high school and college and you have all of these other influences around you, especially women who could be a potential partner, and they have not acknowledged that anything that we could provide, such as stability financially, stability when it comes to security, is a good thing, you start to wonder, okay, well, what are the other assets that need to be built in order to acquire their them as a potential spouse? And it seems like there's just this incredible misalignment. Can I ask a question about yeah, that? yeah. So, you know, men have been fed, you know, boys, a pack of lies for the last however long with the way that, mm. that they've tried to feminize boys. My question is, do you feel like there are a lot of women that maybe you would potentially like to to be with, but mm -hmm. that they have bought into some kind of a lie or this sort of feminist mind virus has taken them over and they're lost to us now? Absolutely. Uh, like, <laughs> Tell me what almost, you really think. Christian. Almost every single woman that I've ever been interested in or, or dated has been consumed by what Elon calls the woke mind virus. Almost every single one. There's like maybe one or there, there's one exception. But yeah, like every girl that I was into in high school, super woke lib now. Yeah. So is that is that the thing that's causing you to go, look, I don't even want to jump into this dating pool. Um, I honestly don't have a great answer to that. I think part of it, going back to what Nick was talking about, staying on your horse, I think that in a dating pool where the women are nowhere near appreciating that as an actual thing, uh, that's a dating pool that doesn't seem very approachable to me. Well, yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Yeah. And it's on this point. And we, we used to always, the, the, the whole moniker, right? Like good guys finish last. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is interesting that a, a lot of, not all, a lot of the same women that talk about like, I want more emotional connection. I want more, you know, openness. I want more wokeness. I want more that I want more of that. Who do they go date? They, they date jerks. Mm -hmm. Assholes. They, they usually date jerks that are also dangerous. This goes into the this goes into the whole Jordan Peter dangerous men thing. But they don't always. They also date losers. Well, no, that that's fine. But even with the losers, that provides an element of drama. That provides a project to fix. Yep. Right. That that's she's going to be the one to turn that dude around, or she's going to be one that's different from all. Peterson the other ones talks about that, that too. He does. And that, here's my point. This is what I think is so toxic about what has actually been taught to young boys. You're taught that those feelings of aggression and competition and, you know, physical, even to the point of like violence at times, you're taught that those are all bad traits that contribute to toxic masculinity. You're the problem with the world. And the way to secure all of that is to make you more feminine in your responses to things. And then this is reinforced by women that say, right, right under his thing. I want more, you know, good communication. Okay. Well, we all want good communication. I, I want more emotional availability. Okay. But then who do you date? You date the guy that is more closed off or better at manipulating and, and provides an element of danger or drama, right? So you, you pass over. Now, here's, here's what I would say is the response to that. The problem is, is that the guys that are trying to do the right thing have been taught to do the wrong thing. And the guys that never bought into it are, are now the ones that are actually picking up the benefit. When in reality, what's true is, no, no, no. You, you want the guy that's capable of being dangerous. He has to be because the world's dangerous. The world is kept safe insofar, predominantly, the world is kept safe insofar 
as that there are good, dangerous men that keep the bad, dangerous men at bay. Period. The end. And deep down, we all know it. And women especially know it. And so ultimately, you will see you will see a woman choose a dangerous, bad guy that they think they can work on over what they perceive to be a weak guy, even if the weak guy is better. And even if he's not really weak, he's just doing his best to try to be the emotionally available guy that you said you wanted. Can I also bring up that that going back to the social media component of this, when Hamilton told me that it was like only 5% yeah. of guys get swiped right on social media, what does that that lead to? That, that means that 80% of the women are throwing themselves, metaphorically speaking, at 5% of the men. If you're in that 5%, you have so many choices. Very, very narrow amount of the, the male population has all of the choices when it comes to online social media and online dating. And so from a guy's perspective, there's a very strong temptation to just sleep around with all of them. Mm-hmm. And so what does that do to the 80% of those women that are throwing themselves at this 5% of the men? They're then looking at that and they're saying, why are men so shallow? Why are men... <laughs> leaving me why are men sleeping with me and then walking away and it leads to this disconnect because it's not just the rise of lonely men it's also increasingly now going to be the rise of lonely women these women are at least they're asking themselves the wrong question they're asking themselves the wrong question i'm just insert this in there real quick they're saying why are these men like this what they really need to ask is why am i attracted to men like this that's a Why good question. Do I Why are you rewarding like it? This? But yeah. right. what I'm saying is, is that like all those other men are not getting any partners. They're not in any relationship. They're not in any marriage. And so they're just lonely and they're out there playing video games or they're online. It just they, they've checked out. Right. That's the whole you know point, title of this of, of this video. Right. They've just checked out. But the women are in these like toxic, dysfunctional relationships that you can't even really identify as relationships if they're a one night stand. Yeah. But they think it'll become a relationship. They, they they think by by sleeping with this guy, they're going to start this process where it'll end up like a Hallmark, you know, movie. <laughs> and, and you know, they're going to live happily ever after. And then they find out that he's not interested. He slept with her once. He's not interested anymore. He's moved on. He's moved on to any of the other 80% of the women out there that are throwing. He's got too many options, man. He doesn't have any more time for you. And so from the woman's point of view, now it's. Well, why are, again, like I said, why are all these guys all shallow? Why are all men like this? Men need to be more emotionally available. They just want to sleep with me. And then they, they I, I want somebody that cares for me. You swiped left on all of the guys that would have cared for you. And, and, and so I'm, and I'm not just blaming them women on this too, because again, it takes two to tango. So what I'm saying is, is that this, this breakdown of the way that, that relationship building used to work in society is failing both men and women. Right. A lot of men have no connection to women at all now and have just completely checked out of the game. And they're like, well, women aren't interested in me, so I'm just going to go do something else until they are. Here's the thing, though, is that this does end up playing out. So tell me how you feel about this. You're the guy that gets, you know, swiped left as being rejected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're swiped left, swiped left all the time. And then a decade goes by. This woman has three baby daddies now. And she has finally come to grips with the fact that, oh, this is the guy I really should have been with all along. How do you feel after that? After after she's done all that and then now she wants you? No, thanks. No, I'm finding that there's a lot of 
women still in the dating market who are probably older than 25 who have bought into the lie from 18 to 27 or 26 or whatever. And then, then they get the picture. Then so it's consequences. They realize what kind of man they want to spend the rest of their life with, but they've given everything they have to every other guy that's come along the way that they thought was more appropriate at the time or more fun or more convenient or a project. And then, you know, at that point I'm like, sorry, you might be on the same page now, but you weren't then. Yeah. Well, how does that make you feel as far as tell me how you feel about that prospect? Because that's kind of the prospect at this point. After being, it's kind of like the guy that gets friend zone and friend zone and the girl goes off and she's with all these other guys. Yeah. And then she comes back to her, her friend and realizes it was him all along, even though she's just gone everywhere else. And in the movies, of That's course, the in happy the movie ending. Yeah. In the movies, nowadays. he's always oh, welcoming gosh, yeah. her back. But does she deserve that? This disappointing scenario you've laid out, though, is the good ending. That's the sad part about yeah. this. What you just described is usually the happy ending for most people now. A lot of people are just not finding that person, period. Men and women increasingly. Women are finding a lot of partners for for one-night stands. Yeah. But And a very small su- subsection of men are as well that, that are finding tons of women throwing themselves at them. Because, again, the competition, as, as we pointed out on that psychology article, is very, very fierce with online dating. And so all the other men are like... Well, screw this. I'm again, I'm going to go do something else because I, at the end of the day, I think that speaking as a man, I think that men are hardwired to to and, and I think women are, too, as well. But but manifest this in different ways. I think men are hardwired to try to find purpose in this world. Yeah. And if that purpose is not getting married, starting a family and building building a family with somebody for the rest of my life, if that's no longer the available purpose, they're going to find another purpose. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, of those other purposes can be really destructive. Well, and I, true. I think true. one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest lies that have been told to people as well is that when you're young and especially when you're in college, oh, this is the time you're going to go out, experiment, have fun, and then you're going to settle down and get married. And what people have found out, I think, especially with a lot of women have found out is like, I'm sorry, I am not your second choice. And, and to put it very, very bluntly, I'm not here for the leftovers, man. And, and that sounds, that sounds you know, heinous, but is it, is it untrue? It's fair. And again, that goes both ways. Please understand that yes. goes both ways. But, but here's what I think is it, it, this was something that I remember telling our kids at a fairly young age, right? When they were starting to get into this realm of, of being at an age where most of their friends were allowed to date and they weren't. And I remember we had these conversations and we were talking about, okay, what's your, what do you want? Well, I want to get married. I want to have someone that I love. I want to, you know, okay, great. How much do you want to have to explain to them? How much do you want to have to explain? And, and, and the reason why we asked that question, the reason why I think a lot of people now is like, oh man, that's hard. And they think it's harsh because let's face it. Most people, that is not the, that is not the, the way that the path has gone where I, you know, I find the person, I marry them and there's no baggage. Right. And I get that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to shame people for, for that. What I am trying to say is, would it be valuable to be aware of that now? Like now, now that you know that that wasn't the right, what are you going to do with your own kids? And what I find fascinating is I watch a number of parents be like, oh, well, this is just the thing. No, it was the thing for you and it didn't work. And now you're raising your kids to believe the same thing. But asking that very important question, what do you actually want out of life? Because anybody that is telling you that all of those decisions that you make during college or whatnot, those are still decisions. And those decisions have consequences. There is no college-free zone 
Yeah. Right. It is not the Switzerland of reality where you get to go there and be like, oh, no, no, that was that was college. You still have consequences. There's still consequences for that. Well, Can, to to uh, that point, and, and I know that Lydia has some questions that I think are like really valuable questions um, th th that we're going to get to at the end of this um, episode in a few minutes because we're, we're running up on time here. Um, but one one last thing that I want to bring up is that we we know that a lot of people have been damaged by. The, the basically the disintegration of the family, I, I really feel like is kind of the heart of this. I By the way, this is something that I noticed. I grew up in a divorced household. Nick grew up in a divorced household. Tina grew up in a divorced household. Hamilton is the only one in this room. Lydia, I don't know what your family's background is. Did you, were your, uh, were your parents together or were you in a divorced household too? My parents are still married. They've been married for almost 40 years now. So wow. three out of the five people that are on this show grew up in divorced households. Mm -hmm. That is stunning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some multiple divorce, you know, and right. I, <laughs> Mine. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll end with this. And this might be an opportunity for us to talk about this in a future episode that will be related to this. But um, we know that a lot of people have been damaged by this. Mm -hmm. The question is, is how do we fix that? Right. So, so you brought up, well, this is why I'm raising my kids this way. A lot of kids weren't raised that way. And now they're in their twenties or thirties and I think a lot of people are regretful of of how they grew up or how they lived their life when they were earlier or just or maybe they didn't even make a whole lot of mistakes and maybe they just got unlucky and they haven't found somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. And but you can grow we... up in that. You can grow up in that and end up not perpetuating it. Yeah. The great, but the greatest, my point is how yeah. to fix it, right? We know yeah. the damage has been done and we know that a lot of people are suffering consequences yeah. for their actions. How do we fix? We can't change the past though, is what yeah. I'm saying. Right. So, yeah. so how do we fix it? That's a question that's worth asking at some point. But Lydia, I know that you had some questions that I think are really valuable questions that, that should quite frankly be asked of anybody that's looking to like find a serious partner that they want to end up spending the rest of their life with. Yeah. So, my three biggest questions, I think, and what I really want to end on, I want to end strong and I want to end positively because there is so much negativity around this topic. It's it's kind of a non-starter for a lot of guys, I understand. So I want to say there are three or four questions you need to ask people. I really want to tell people to get into the dating pool because this is something very important to our society. It's, it's not just important to your personal happiness. It's important to our society. It's important for our culture to have strong families. And like Tina and Nick were mentioning with the divorce, history of divorce in their past, uh, families, family members who are divorced, what they're doing now is looking at that and saying, I don't want that for my family. I don't want my kids to suffer through what I suffered through because there are always two ways to handle a parent who does the wrong thing or who follows the wrong path. You can say, well, this isn't my fault. My parents got divorced, so I'm just doing what they did. Or you can say, I am making the intentional choice to never allow the D word to cross my lips because I saw what it did to me when my parents went through it. So the questions you can ask people once you're brave enough to get into the dating pool are things like, do you want kids? Do you believe what I believe? That means religion and politics. Where do you see yourself in five years? That is getting into the bigger conversation about marriage. Do you see yourself married? And then also to seriously interrogate yourself about your top deal breakers and to use those red flags yes. and those green flags to then pinpoint where you want to jump into the dating pool. Because we talked about the other day, the importance of the geography, where you jump in and where you go to try to find people. Because I think we can all agree that dating app, 
dating apps are not, in fact, where it's at. What you need to do is go out into the real world. So if you have uh, a penchant for being outside, you could volunteer with an environmental organization. You could do litter cleanup. Um, when I was in Maryland, there was a lot of exercises around the bay where you could go and like build these things or, or like little houses for clams or something. I don't know what they were. It was Maryland. There was a lot of focus on crabs, but that was a great way that you could go and be focused on like this bigger picture of helping the world around you, not just focused on finding your spouse. And I think that could be a really strong conclusion here is that what we want to do in our free time, if guys do decide to check out of the dating pool, I want the focus to be on them making themselves better. I want them to be focusing on reading the things they want to read because when you're not a parent, you have a lot more free time than you would when you were a parent. When you're not married, you have a lot more freedom to do exactly what you want to do when you want to do it. These are blessings that I think should be used to turn yourself into the kind of person that someone that you're looking for is then going to say, wow, that person is a great catch. I better do everything in my power to make sure that they notice me, that we're on the same page that we have an option to date. So I really think that while it is negative for men to look at this world and just be like, oh, there's no getting ahead. A lot of guys are going to turn to stuff like video games and self-centered activities that are really counterproductive for their uh, mental health and for their well-being overall. When what they should be doing instead, and what I want our audience to go away with today, is the idea that to find a good person, you have to be a good person. And if you have free time, if you are single, you can be reading books, you can be learning to work on cars, you can be learning to do things like shoot guns and work on home maintenance. All of these things are interesting in themselves. They also make you a better person. Hitting the gym makes you stronger, makes your bones stronger. Like there's so many advantages to doing all these other activities that aren't necessarily just wallowing in self-pity. So while I know that a lot of the system is oriented against men, it seems like there's such an opportunity for guys who have strong moral fiber to look at this and be like, okay, this is not great. This is not ideal. I wish the circumstances weren't the way they are, but stoicism says you need to accept things for the way they are. And that's the bottom line. I'm sorry that things aren't better for men, but given that things are the way they are, I think that a good, strong character built man will look at it and say, all right, this is not great. I'm going to do everything in my power to make this work in my favor. And I can't change my height, can't change my hairline, but I can change my weight. I can change how buff I am. I can change how well-read I am. And I really think that if we focus on that instead of the self-pity, I think this would really help men. And hopefully this podcast is a little bit of that as we go into this, because I know it's dark out there. I that know was it's so positive, it really Lydia. Hey, that was great. I'm going to start calling think... Lydia the Antichristian. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm too close to the Antichrist. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, this is such an opportunity. Like uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this. Anywhere responsibility is rejected, you will find opportunity. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. There's such a great chance for good guys to really capitalize on this. And even if they don't end up finding a spouse, they will be better people who make the world better in different ways. That is true. I'd like that's to add <laughs> one little thing to that. And that is, um, you know, our guys, they're constantly looking like Christian and Nick uh, Hamilton are always looking at numbers and statistics and, and things like that. And sometimes you can get really weighed down by those numbers and statistics, like the women who swipe left right. or swipe right or, or um, how many women are on the internet just, you know, 
showing everything they can show and, and the road they go down and the lies that they believe with the, some of the feminist well, stuff, which we will that. cover next yeah. uh, uh, episode. But I do want to add just one little piece of encouragement. And that is there are a lot of women who don't buy into this stuff. And the reason you don't see them is because they don't buy into this stuff and they don't put themselves out there like that. And, but there are a lot. And so you are looking for, so, so you're kind of talking about how you're like, Oh, we're in like 2% of men and and we get like 2% of the swath of, of, of options or whatever. But by the same token, there are, are women who are looking for exactly the type of man that you are. And, they are excluding a lot of other men because that's not what they're looking for either. They've, they have seen through everything. They've been red pilled. They don't buy into this stuff. And so their pool is much more narrow too. And if you fit into their pool, you're more likely to find them. You just need to go where these women might be. So you're going to need to really look around and go, okay, here are the three deal breakers or here are the things that, that I really need them to be on the same page with me on. Where am I the most likely to find more of those type of women? And how do I get into that pool? If you're looking for a good Christian woman and you're not going to church, you don't have much, much to complain about. <laughs> it's going to be That's hard. True. Can I end this episode? That's not to say that at churches with, you're going to always find the perfect sure, thing. Sure. Can, can I end this episode right. with saying... We said some really mean things about video games. Tyler, our subscriber who watches all of our episodes, I was just playing a game of Stellarius with him actually a few days ago. It was really funny. Like, like yeah. we, we connected over, I think it was Facebook. Um, yeah. He, like, watches all of our stuff. So, Tyler, I'm not, we're not bashing you for, for playing video games with us. Uh, hey, I, look, I, I, I play Civ 6. If you like playing video games, there are plenty of women that like playing them, too. So, find well, her. I, the, the other, I mean, I think. I think the other thing too, and, and we we talk a lot, we talk a lot on this episode across the board about truth. What is true? Culture is throwing a lot of stuff out there that right now I think is verifiably false, and the data is coming out to to make the empirical evidence overwhelming for a lot of people that are still haven't gotten it and are unfortunately are gonna learn the hard way. But if you do pursue truth in everything, just like in this, if you do pursue truth, I do think it's I do think it ends up being rewarded in part because, and this sounds cliche, it is its own reward. If at the end of doing everything Lydia just said, you're you're stronger, faster, more competent, more intelligent, more articulate, you know, um, there's <laughs> you you have benefited regardless. And and the bottom right. line is somewhere down the line, someone recognizes and appreciates that. Can I also add yeah. um, that? Part of the reason that the left has made significant gains policy-wise and politically-wise over the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years is because of the decline of the family. Mm -hmm. We see this in, in statistics that, that families, married couples, tend to be more conservative-leaning than those who are single, especially single women, right? When, yep. when I brought up the whole awfuls thing yeah. earlier. <laughs> like, like it, So if, if you care about conservative or liberty oriented politics, believe it or not, you and those around you are much more likely to support conservative policies if you're part of a stable family. This is why it's important for the next generation. If you care about liberty and you care about the, the principles of this country and you care about the stuff that we talk about all the time on the political side of this podcast, one of the best things you can do to leave a solid legacy for the generation after you is get married. Mm -hmm. 
before you have kids. Make sure, make sure that if you're going to have, right. have children, that you have them within a stable family because those kids are going to be more likely to support conservative causes if they grow up within a married, stable household than if they're in a divorced one, let alone if there's if there's no concept of the family at all. The reason the left wants to destroy the family is because they see the same statistics that I see, that when families break down, left-wing politics benefits from it way more than conservative and libertarian-related policies. So I'll, I'll just end it with that. There's well, there one last question here uh, um, that is, you know, basically if a young man came to you and said, I just don't feel like going out seeking a partner um, I don't even feel like that is even worth it or and maybe it's pointless. What would your response be to that? You could leave it on that. I mean, my, no. my response goes back to kind of like what Christian just said. What this really comes down to is that it is not just all about you. And you're going to find that and your life is going to be so much rich when you the day you discover that it's not all about you it is, is really when you discover what it means to have meaning and purpose. And, and nowhere do you find that more in, in the absolute beauty of marrying someone that you love, respect, and want to honor and spend the rest of your life with. In, in that moment when you are holding your child for the first time and you are seeing what my grandfather used to describe, the, the, you're seeing something miraculous, right? All, all of that happens. So not only that, but with respect to everything else that we believe, you want to join the rebellion, pray hard, work hard, be faithful, and find something that you're actually willing to love and sacrifice for, because it's only in that that you're actually going to find the genuine sort of, of freedom and purpose that makes a life worth living. Hmm. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We know we went a little long. Good news is, is uh, next one, we're going to be, uh, this one was more from the male perspective, right? Um, next one's going to be more from the ladies' perspective. So they're going to be able to share their insights. Make sure you tune in for that, and we will see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.